When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this week's early edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. We're not here on Sunday, we're here on Saturday because everyone should be hanging out with their mothers tomorrow. So you guys enjoy that and uh, we'll be, well, not here. Um, with me as always, Andy Pregler, Christian Guzman. What's going on, guys? Let's go, Pens. It's 5-4. I cannot wait to regret this cheer in like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to a Sabres fan here, so I I don't know that hockey exists at this point. So yeah, enjoy. And you're, and you're talking to a non-hockey fan here also, who pretty much doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fine. A shout out to the Syracuse women's club hockey team and the SU women's hockey team. The reason I am as hockey as I am is because I attempted to. Well, I did successfully date and then marry a hockey player. So <laughs> I was going to say that seems am, like more than an attempt, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I realized as I was about to say that I was like, oh wait, I actually made that attempt. You know, it was it was the it was the Michael Scott. You 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 miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Uh, and then I realized, wait, I took that shot. Oh shit, I made that shot. Crap, we gotta keep. Oh wait, I gotta adjust this whole thing. Um, but yes, the you hockey married, playoff. You married it to the sport. Congratulations. I know, and she married hey. into mascotting. What a weird combo we got Ooh, going on some... here. Uh, I've got I've got football and rugby here. My wife was a rugger, so. Oh wow! I love yeah. that. Seabass that uh, is... is going to be jacked. <laughs> he's he's already so, uh, he's already you know he, he weighs C-Bass as much as me be, so. Seabass is going to be ready for tackle football before he's ready for flag football. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. So, uh, so yeah. Speaking of football, we, I was going to uh, say we got a lot of football this week. So, it's, for uh, those that are new around these parts, Steve, Christian, and myself definitively occupy the football wing of the Noons Magician uh, blogger halls. And most weeks, we sit here during the football off season, and we'll talk about football because football news is always happening. But it's often us like taking a small peanut of a thing and turning it into a bigger conversation topic. This week, I am genuinely concerned we will not be able to cover all the football (laughs) things as in-depth as we want to, because so much happened this week, including football news. Um, Let's start with the big one. And in my mind, the big one is a new scheduling series that the Syracuse football... uh, We need them. What the hell? (laughs) Seriously. Listen... This is a hell of a move. Syracuse has scheduled a home-and-home home with the Penn State Nittany Lions. This will take place in 2027 and 2028, or 2026 and 2028. I forget seven, the... Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Um, the first leg will be at Happy Valley. The second leg will be at the Carrier Dome. <laughs> I can't wait to get so crushed in Happy Valley in 2027. So let me... T- I, I just want to start off with an anecdote. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad is did not go to a big football school, but loves college football. Uh, hence why I ended up only looking at D1 schools and why Syracuse <laughs> ended up on my radar. Uh, because in my dad's perception of college football, which is strictly from the 90s and early 2000s, Syracuse was a good college football program. Thank you, Donovan McNabb. However, that has obviously changed, but he is also a big Penn State fan. Um, because when you grow up in Pennsylvania, there's one 
Pennsylvania football program. So I told him about this series. I was like, hey, dad, we're going to actually get to go to Happy Valley in a game. Like I can buy tickets in the Syracuse visitor section. My dad went, that's cool. Why, though? (laughs) And if my dad, who understands college football to the point that like, hey, I'm a Penn State fan. Um, We should be like Penn State schedules certain types of opponents. Why are they scheduling Syracuse? If there is mutual questions on both sides of this equation, I I know why this this series was scheduled. Christian, we know that this is reviving a rivalry from Steve's era. Steve, that was a joke. I will we will get back to that to that aspect of it. That that hurts. That hurts because that is even well before my era. (laughs) Really. Oh, I never saw them play Penn State. I saw them play Penn State once on accident in the Gerg era. On accident. Okay, so great. So this doesn't. This makes even less sense. Yeah, Christian, it was the eighties. Purely... Like I was, I was where the age it, when the last time we played Penn State in a meaningful game, I was the age you guys were when Syracuse football was good. <laughs> it's oh wow, yeah, yeah. Been a minute. Christian, why is this like Penn State's good? James Franklin isn't going anywhere. Why is this a bad idea? <laughs> you you mentioned well, many because, of those reasons off the bat. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's quite a few reasons. Uh, once Syracuse is going to lose, to um, a win like that for Penn State doesn't really bolster their resume for a team that genuinely wants to fight for a CFP appearance, um, even though it hasn't gone that way the most years, but. The Penn State goal has been for quite some time to fight for a CFP appearance, even though, you know, there is a giant buckeye in the way of those plans most of the time. So it's more of an inconvenient roadblock for Penn State than it is a good non-conference win that you could use to build a resume and convince the committee, hey, we can actually hang with some decent people. Um, So... Uh, like yes i mean let, let's put it out there why did this get scheduled um how many dollar signs i don't you think put it, exactly something? i don't think nostalgia is the reason and the sole driving reason why this got scheduled as steve said it's probably the money and we we had a conversation about this in our slack um when this was announced uh there was a, a great point that uh, Kevin made like why the why does Syracuse go for these type of events it's like why is Syracuse scheduling all these uh, big events in the future like a Tennessee in 2025 and the answer is actually just pretty simple it's because the guaranteed money is something Syracuse actually kind of sorely needs right now um, and making an easier schedule for the potential of more money is a risk that I don't think Syracuse is willing to take, just mainly also because of the state that they are in, in the ACC with Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville pretty much ruling the top of their division. So the guaranteed money right now is the more enticing option for the people at the top of Syracuse. And because of that, you get series like this. This will give Syracuse money. Yeah. Whether they decide to use it in a wise manner remains to be seen. I, yeah, I know Steve, the answer to that. You... <laughs> <laughs> Steve, we know that. I, I think this is something important. I, I don't know if you can speak to this directly, but I was trying to have this conversation with somebody who's just not getting it. Like, this is not a situation where, like, I think a lot of people have the mentality that Syracuse, quote unquote, needs to be playing big games. Um, it's important for the players to be in big games. It's important for the team to be involved in marquee games. However, in my Syracuse experience, I have seen what it's like to be a program flying into a body bag game. And it's not... I was I was not on the team. I was just the, the dude in the giant orange suit, okay? <laughs> like, I am not there, like, in the same way that the football, football, football players are. But I just I want to be clear about like you are a former football player. You've been in, you played in a variety of different games. I think that we have this concept that teams and coaches 
go into every game saying that we can win this game, like we are going to win this game. They give the inspiring speech before every tough game. And the reality is that's just simply not true. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a dichotomy of on the surface versus internal. Um, on the surface, everyone's going through the motions. Everyone always thinks every game is winnable when you when you're in front of the mic and when you're you know showing everything for people. Internally, there's there's realism, like there's pragmatism. Uh, you. You know, if you go out against a Clemson, you're much more likely to leave in a body bag than against uh, Wagner. Um, you, you know <laughs> what you're up against. You you know what the schedule says. Um, even within the team, like, I know there were plenty of games that I played that after that first drive, it was like, no, no, we were right. We're, we're not touching this. Like, this is not going to be a win. Uh, there are plenty of games where you know there's a fight, where you know there's... it's Even if you're an underdog, you can usually get a feel for the game pretty quick. And yeah, you, you're, you're still going to go out and play your game. You're still going to go out and give everything you have. But you know, like, there, it's, it's not a... It's not a mystery when you're lining up against guys you're completely overmatched with. So oh, there's no and there's no real benefit to a team like Syracuse, who's not necessarily competing to get to that next level of eliteness yeah. of going up against these big teams. Like and it the, doesn't behoove us. No. Yeah, and and to and to your buddy's point of saying, oh, Syracuse needs to play in big games. A a game against an Ohio State, a Penn State. A team of that caliber isn't the big game that is going to feature the same type of vitriol that you want from a collegiate athlete like a bowl game. Yeah. A bowl game, a playoff game, is going to draw a lot more passion out of a team than playing a regular season game against LSU. And get you a month more practices. Exactly. You get get that month of practice. You get more time with the team. Mm and I th- just the big thing is like like take a look at the like take a look at this in a basketball sense. When yes, you play the preseason tournaments and you get those key cool matchups, like Syracuse will play in the Maui Invitational um, in in next year, where you know you get take on Gonzaga and Tennessee and all those big names and the. In the 2015-16 season, Battle for Atlantis, you're taking on Texas A&M and Connecticut. But those games, while they're cool against a good competition, don't feel the same. Except when Syracuse plays Dayton in the round of 64, or San Diego State in the round of 64, those games feel a lot different. And they might not have the same names, but those are the big games that the athletes prepare for. And those are the big games that the athletes want to play in. It's the playoff games that have the most meaning, not the regular season game against a cool team. Well, And, 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 and so that... if you want to get them to the big game, you schedule correctly, like Casilla wants, and you get yourself to a point where you only need two wins in non-conference play, which, by the way, Syracuse did this year. They right. just decided to not show up offensively versus Rutgers. Well, and that's that's the thing is your when you look at Syracuse's mandated schedule, every year you have two big games guaranteed on the schedule in Clemson and Florida State. You have a non-con versus Notre Dame or another P five that's mandated. So Notre Dame every other year, and then the you know fill it in with a P five in the alternate years. Uh, unfortunately, we decided to do that with the biggest P5s we can. Like, go find you – know, we, we know the head coach of Vanderbilt pretty well. Can we go talk to him? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Uh, That's, and, and, like, I, I do want to shift the conversation to, like, the one thing that I see that makes sense about this matchup. And that is not the history, not the, the rivalry that does or does not exist. 
Um, I'm doing air quotes around rivalry there for for everybody who's listening. Um, it's the idea that Babers and his staff have started really leaning heavily in that Midwest recruiting ground, specifically Western Pennsylvania, Northeast Ohio, Northwest Ohio, and into Michigan and Illinois um, for a lot of their recruiting. Um, we can take a look at a lot of the guys on the roster, specifically in positions that Dino and his staff care about, looking at offensive skill positions at running back and wide receiver, looking at defensive skill positions. They are clearly going after guys in the quote-unquote rust belt. And that is something where Big Ten teams typically get their pick of the litter. And so I do understand this from a point of view of saying, we are trying to recruit in this area, and so we need to play teams in that space. But my counter to that is who the Mac. The Mac exists. Right. The Mac. Yeah. The Mac is who your more direct competition is for these kids at early stages, and you can win Mac games. Getting Ohio, your Ohio, Western Michigan. Yep. Eastern Getting Michigan. Your Central you, you Michigan. Know, uh, every hey, other you, direction. Hey, guess Michigan. what? You know, not only do you know the coach at Vanderbilt, you also know the coach at Western Michigan. That's true. <laughs> oh wait, we do. <laughs> You know the coach at Western Michigan very well. <laughs> Getting your butt beat by Penn State is not going to help you recruit in that space. Losing close to Penn State is not going to help you recruit in that space. Winning gonna Penn State's Penn- not going Winning probably isn't going to help either. Right. That's because that's it's going to be looking as a fluke. Yeah, and that's going to be the analogy that like I I can't remember who I, it might have been on the site. It might have been someone I was talking to, but the analogy of as soon as this game is done being played. The number of people that are going to remember that it was played, I could probably count on like two hands. Once it's once the season's done, who's going to remember the random Penn State game in 2027 that uh, whether whether we won or lost, unless it was like a shock upset, if it was like a mediocre Penn State team that we beat, uh, okay. If it was you know the equivalent of the Clemson game. We're going to remember it happened, but it's not going to sway anybody like you're saying. It's not going to sway yeah. any recruits' minds. And, and, the, and the recruits that are going to go to those games aren't thinking about going to Syracuse. They're thinking about going to Penn State. <laughs> right. And, and how many recruits watching are Syracuse, against And watching them. Syracuse play against Penn State isn't going to sway them from choosing Penn State. It's choosing Syracuse over Penn State. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. No. I, I'm glad that we're really aligned here because I did – Get sucked we, we into this narrative. We all came from the Church of Casillo, man. What do you want? <laughs> this is true. We did all. We all were brainwashed by by the church. Uh, that is accurate. Is, um, is, it's, is, it's just one of these. Is that the the podcast title this week? The Church of Casillo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> brainwashed by the Church of Casillo. <laughs> it's like the Universal Church of Truth, except yes. instead of being powered by faith, it's powered by spite. Yeah. <laughs> Deep cut comic book reference there for you all. Uh, oh, good. That's amazing. This, this, is just, what ha- this is what happens when the football wing of Nudes Magician is also the comic wing of Nudes Magician. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we will get into Doctor Strange talk later for all five of you listening who are interested in that. Hi, but Mike. for now, <laughs> but for now, I think it's safe to say that uh, from a football perspective, this doesn't make sense. From a fan perspective, I'm going to be at that road game. Um, I'm probably going to be at that home game as well. It's doing its job of like getting fans interested, but I'm not going because I expect Syracuse to be good. I'm taking family who is invested in Penn State and turning it into an excuse to like merge our our likes. This is not because I'm going because of any Syracuse belief or anything like that. Yeah, like I'll probably end up going solely because, you know, Seabass will be 10 at that point. And which is wildly frightening. And it's like, oh, let's travel down to Happy Valley. You'll enjoy that. Yeah, but then it's his dad talking every five seconds about, okay, did you see the technique on that guy? That was bad. You don't do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't say that that wouldn't happen. The, the offensive I'm, I'm, line talk is going to be so good. So I'm the guy in the group of our season ticket holders. I'm the guy that is like live. Uh, we have one guy that just completely flies by the seat of his pants and like rides the emotional roller coaster. 
And, you know, you get the, why did you throw that? Why did you do this? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And every single time he does it, I'm just sitting there stoically having watched, because of where I selected my seats in the All-22, uh, watching the play and being like, well, the you know, that corner drifted and the under wasn't there, so he had to make that <laughs> throw. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay, go back to your emotional roller coaster. Enjoy. I'm just going to sit here with the numbers flying through my head like uh, Zach Galifianakis in The Hangover. <laughs> it, oh my god i do i do love this dynamic and it's true of um yeah i i have a story for you all off camera about that uh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. fun fun things to do at noons after dark uh for the rest of the people listening to this show uh there was some other football news that happened this week actually relating to next year's team um and that is that syracuse added a football transfer in marcus adams Adams is a former Florida State career, uh, commit and player who has ended up at Florida Atlantic and will now be joining Syracuse, uh, according to the uh, article written by Kevin on the website. He caught three passes for 94 yards last year. Not ideal. Um, and he has two seasons of eligibility uh, to use at Syracuse. Um, I don't think there's a lot to say about Adams himself. However, there was an additional piece that was published uh, this week on Noon's Magician, and it was talking about, uh, it was also by Kevin, and it was talking about where Syracuse needs to shore up um, the team, and specifically, we need to look at in the trenches. And adding Adams is interesting, but it limits, but we get rid of a scholarship, and now there doesn't seem like there's a lot of space to add multiple bodies in the interior. And so, Steve, I just I want to start with you because you know, you said you're the, the big man expert here. Uh, what what when Kevin is talking about shoring up the interior of the team, what in layman's terms, what is the biggest issue that we're looking at for Syracuse right now in the trenches, and why do we, why should we be looking at bodies now as opposed to prioritizing them in recruiting cycles coming up? Uh, Cliff notes need more fat people. Done. Uh, no, uh, I, I think the biggest thing is primarily on the defensive line. Uh, we did lose. I mean, we, we legitimately lost three six-year seniors and a fifth-year senior in Roscoe, and they all were all of our time and Each, people. Like, every <laughs> single six-year senior got signed to an NFL training camp. Yeah. Somehow service did, too. Bravo for him. Like... Wow. I, I, uh, jets, jets are somehow still get a Jets at some point. So. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> I, I mean, Eric, couldn't have couldn't have that good of a draft without that getting slid in. Yeah, I mean, Service's versatility definitely helped him. Like the ability to play inside or outside definitely got him the invite. So we'll see, we'll see where he takes it and what happens there. I mean, if he can rock a practice squad spot for, why not? Um, that said, going back to the current squad. Uh, McKinley, Bear, and yeah, McKinley and Bear, both of them. Um, Bear Black and uh, Jonathan all took off all six year, and uh, Roscoe ended up leaving. Did he? I don't think he signed anywhere yet, which seems weird of all of them. But uh, either way, that's a lot of production that's gone. You're replacing that with Steve Linton, who um, well very focused on pass rush is uh, slightly undersized for the position he's playing. And then Caleb Okachukwu, who got some good run and, you know, is going to have to step up big time. And then a true sophomore in Terry Lockett. So yeah. there's some bodies in there that kind of surprised me and surprised probably most people looking at it. If they can make the step up, that's awesome. But it, I think what Kevin was going for is that they really need to find an anchor of some sort, or you know, some we sort of a, experience. We need to we need to introduce Steve Linton to Marek Dolashai like immediately. Yes, yeah, he and Dolashai need to be best friends, and this needs to be sponsored by the artist formerly known as Cosmos Pizza. <laughs> Man, I miss that place. <laughs> Oh, uh, what was the bomb? Oh, it might not even. I'm not even going to say anything. It might not even have been there when you guys were there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the go. pizza, the pizza place out. next to uh, <laughs> the pizza place that's that used to be next to Pita Pit. Uh, 
that you could get dollar yep. slices. Yeah, late that was night. not there when I was yeah. there. Not there anymore. Dollar slices were great, and they were like the big slices. Yep, and that turned into Calios. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Oh wow. That was which ago. is no longer a thing. Which is no longer a thing. Yeah. Damn. Huh. And this is your trip down Syracuse nostalgia lane. Hey, remember, a Cropwix is getting replaced with a Popeyes. Yeah. Oh, you know what? That Speaking... one is for that one's for the football recruits. Not gonna lie, <laughs> that one's for the football recruits. <laughs> That's the, good. That's very good. The uh, I, I I can say though, our trip down Syracuse nostalgia lane may even tie into our sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Oh, Field Apparel. They do love them some nostalgia. They really do. For those of you that do not know who Homefield Apparel are, they are the makers of fine, nostalgic Syracuse gear in hoodie, t-shirt, and crew neck form. Hopefully, joggers. Connor, if you're listening, put Otto on a pair of joggers, you coward. I dare you. Uh, but for those of you that have been following us for a while, you know that Homefield Apparel just dropped a new Syracuse collection, specifically two brand new t-shirts. One is orange and says, For the Glory. And it has a retro dome in the middle of it, which is just perfect. And they went down and made a 2003 national title uh, winner t-shirt as well. Uh, they just know how to press all the buttons. You can head to the News Magician website. We have an article with both shirts in the article for you to take a look at. Uh, if you are interested in buying those t-shirts, you should head to homefieldapparel.com. And use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order, including these wonderful new additions to the Syracuse collection. Um, also, congratulations. Uh, I did a thing on for the uh, Charity Bowl. Homefield Apparel is very wonderful and sent me both t-shirts. Uh, I gave one t-shirt away to somebody that I owed a t-shirt to. Uh, the other t-shirt uh, I put up for grabs on Twitter to anybody who donated to the EDB. Wait, every day should be Saturday. E-D-S-B-S Charity Bowl, which if you do not know what the Charity Bowl is, it's basically spite that you could turn into charitable donations that help um, anybody in the Georgia area uh, as they begin their uh, begin all the way till their conclusion of their time of getting settled in the United States, specifically in that area. Fantastic charity that the college football internet is all behind. And thank you to the Syracuse fans who did donate because Syracuse finished in the top 25. Our first top 25 finish in anything. Yeah. Yeah. Since uh, 2018. So uh, thank you to all those who donated. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to the person who, uh, congratulations to the person who won the shirt. It's, it's going out in the mail very shortly. Um, but I did want to call out the, the charity bowl uh, champion uh, top 25 finish there by Syracuse. Uh, I think it's really great when this community can get together. And I know that we normally do Hughes ticks for kids, but it's been a minute since we've been to a bowl game. So thank you for supporting something in the meantime. <laughs> and, you know, randomly, thank you to Spencer for just being Spencer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, as a Spencer f spiritually fits in with this group very well. <laughs> we've so. never met him, but he is he is a member of this group. Um, yeah. In the non-football sense, as we talk about things that are old and nostalgic, let's talk about Jim Beheim. Uh <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was very good. Very, very, very good. Yeah. Uh, so Jim Beheim, fresh off of his Beheim Gala, where he tends to drop uh, crucial recruiting news and, and team building always. news in the middle of getting ro roasted by Sean McDonough, uh, has <laughs> is went on the Eric Devendorf show on Q Sports Talk to talk about everything and as is per uh per Jim Bayheim just really went in on a lot of things. Um there's a lot to digest there, but let's start with the key on the court things. Uh he said that they're going to play man-to-man -man defense. Uh, um I I think let's start there. <laughs> they're going to play man-to-man -man defense this year. Uh uh Jim Beheim has finally caved. The wall is coming down. He's willing to do something different. Uh, uh, Christian, the team that's going to be there next year, based off of his comments at the Beheim Bowl and what we know, the team is going to run with a starting four 
that is going to consist of some way, shape, or form of Simeon Torrance, Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, and uh, Benny Williams. Don't necessarily know who the fifth is going to be in there. There's a lot of flexibility um, there for somebody who can play either a th- actually a three or a four. Um, and there's going to be depth pieces that are probably going to be added. This team feels like it needs to play man-to-man defense and not play zone defense, just based off of those yeah. names that I said. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Beheim's Beheim's finally at the point where he's realizing that the guys he wants to recruit to play the two-three zone are coming to Syracuse, because the days of of recruiting the long, lanky guard of Frank Howard and Tyus Battle are no longer happening for Syracuse. So you have to adjust with the weapons that you have. Yep. And so because of that, because of what Jim Beheim has, a zone isn't going to work if it's played 100% of the time. You play it even 70% of the time. That's fine. But this team has to mix it man-to-man. Just because of the defensive personnel that has to be there because they're... Because as Beheim has... Pretty much always said, especially with the players that he we're going to talk about, the offensive potential there is too much to take them off the field, and so they have to be there for defense. And so, putting let's just say it, Joe Girard in the zone is not going to work. Yeah, no, that sounds right. Now, at the same time, on the Steve is old bandwagon. Uh, I can remember a time when Syracuse did not exclusively play zone and that they did mix in man on occasion uh, as well as the, you know, uh, often utilized press. Um, so it's it's basically Jim taking a 13-year hiatus from playing zo- or, uh, playing man and coming back to it. Like all things in life, sometimes you just need a 13-year break. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, you know, I'm I'm just I'm really having fun tonight here, uh, I, gents. I missed you last week. <laughs> yeah, um, is, it because, is it because uh, Pittsburgh uh, lost to Cincinnati in baseball, and so you needed an outlet? Um, it's the because the Penguins won. I spent last week when we should have been doing the podcast. Um, I don't even remember what I was doing, but it was post Bayheim ball, so I was probably hungover. Um, and oh no, you were you were in Syracuse without a laptop. That's what happened last week. Yes, yes, I forgot no. my laptop uh, that I was supposed to bring with me with my friends, and we did not do that. So I had beer belly uh, and just was happy with that because I love beer belly. You uh, can't go wrong there. But no, but what I did want to say uh, on the uh, missing you front, and also something completely kind of related to this. There was a tweet that went viral yesterday. I don't know if you gentlemen saw it, but it was the men would rather spend two hours talking about random sports uh, names than go to therapy. And at last check, it had over 10,000 quote tweets and 40,000 likes. Uh, My question to you is, who is the first name that Jim Beheim is bringing up instead of going to therapy? Because my theory is that it's Demetrius Nichols. I don't know why, but I feel like if Jim Beheim is going to name a random Syracuse player, that is the random Syracuse player that he reaches for. <laughs> Billy Selick? Oh, that's a good one. Deep cuts. Craig Forth? Oh, Craig Forth, yeah. yeah. DJ Craig Forth. Going, going all, all, uh, all kindergarten teacher? <laughs> yes. Actually, I think he's a superintendent now, but yeah. Craig Forth is a superintendent, and Salaki is a DJ. Yeah, that you keep. He probably has some good things to say about Josh Pace. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, no, uh, um, oh no, no, no! It's Paul Harris. Let's be honest. It's Paul Harris. No, oh. <laughs> Paul. He's, he, Paul Harris. <laughs> oh no! I took it. I, I rotate through some of the jerseys behind me, but uh, usually the number 11 back there is a Paul Harris jersey. Uh, from the area I was up there, people assume it was a Scoop Jardine, but it is a Paul Harris. And I will I will ride and die on that train. I was uh, I, love, I, I loved Paul Harris. I was going to say, I love that for you. And if he doesn't bring up Paul Harris, he's bringing off Christophe Ongenot. Uh, that that name is getting brought up out of the out of the blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Uh, so, I, on names getting brought up out of the blue, um, you know, oftentimes nowadays we're seeing said names dropped into a transfer portal. And unfortunately, you just nailed it. <laughs> we are seeing random names pop up in the transfer portal from the Syracuse men's lacrosse team. So, um, Christian, I don't know if you would like to fill us in on the happenings in the worlds of the stick with a net on it. Well, Tucker Dordovic transferring. Not great. No. Not great. Yeah. Not great. Well, let's. If all things considered, if this was, you know, a normal action, if, you know, that thing that caused 2020 to happen it didn't happen, uh, this would actually be Dordovic's last year. So, uh, he the extra year of eligibility he has is his COVID year eligibility. Um, so, the thing that he said in his Instagram post uh, when he announced he was entering the portal was that after thinking it over, he wanted it to go out with his guys. And the guys that went into the into Syracuse with, you know, with Braden Curry and Brent Kennedy and those things like and those guys like that to and leave with them and not play because I think he started to realize it'd be kind of weird to play in a Syracuse uniform without some of those guys. So unfortunately, he's transferring, which is not great for Syracuse because he would have been a very, very good first-choice midfielder with the attacking options that are coming back. But that's going to have to get retooled very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, Vic transferring. Mikey Berkman is also transferring. And Jack Savage is also transferring. Berkman would have probably gotten some good run, um, if not in the first attack because that attack would have been loaded, uh, at least with the first midfield. And Jack Savage would have most likely taken over for FOP as the starting Fogo. So a lot of pieces leaving. Not a lot of pieces, but key pieces leaving for Syracuse, which isn't great. Yeah, it seems... I mean, I, I know in the Slack we talked about it a little, but um, with, with you and John and the, the whole crew, but... Um, it seems like, as weird as it sounds, most of these actually make sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's almost like Savage mm-hmm. of any of them makes the least sense. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there anybody that we know coming in as a Fogo? Or, like, is it going to be someone completely untested? Or are we hitting the transfer Well, one of, one of Spolina's brothers is a Fogo, but I don't think he's coming in until next year. Right. I don't think he's coming in this year. Hmm. So find Fogo now. Do we do we just put yeah. out a sign? Fogo wanted. Mm-hmm. Is it's that how that uh, works? Jo- uh, new boss, same as the old boss. You know, <laughs> John Desco spent so much of those later years looking for a reliable Fogo, and here we are again, Gary Gate now looking for a reliable Fogo. Um, it just it feels like this is the Achilles heel of, of modern Syracuse lacrosse. Um, well, this is also a record well, this, for most times we said Fogo because, on a cast. This year it wasn't because, you know, ever since ever since Ben Williams came yeah. to Syracuse back in 2015, Fogo's had been actually pretty solid. There was that one year where Varello and Fopped kind of flip-flopped places. Uh, but other than that, like, Fogo's actually been pretty solid. The big thing to go this year is going to have to be goaltending. Because... Yeah. You, you need to figure out who sticks. I don't think you can go into 2022 with a a two-goalie system like Syracuse did. So, someone's got to stick. And that's on either yeah. team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I It's, you know, it, it's weird. Well, for one, it's weird that it's not, you know, uh, right before Memorial Day and we're saying Syracuse season is done and all all that historic nonsense of us not making the tournament. But here we are. And uh, with the wrap of all those um, various sports and um, lacrosse being done and whatnot, uh, it looks like we did officially have the CUSE Awards given out for the year uh, last week. Yeah. So um, as you can ima- imagine... Uh, we were pleased with the performance of at least one person on this list. 
Ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, the Cuse Awards, for those that might not know, are the yearly celebration that the athletic department puts on for the student athletes. Um, again, as a former Syracuse student athlete who got to attend the Cuse Awards, it's basically an excuse for all the students to dress up in really nice clothes, go to a nice banquet type event and get honored for the year that was the year. Um, it's, it's usually, and one of the things I do want to call out with this and, and Kevin, I know we've talked about this a lot. Um, there's a ton of staff who are behind the scenes of the athletic department who do not get talked about, but are basically the reason that the entire athletic department functions. <laughs> we're talking about academic advisors. We're talking about support, support specialists, athletic trainers, especially. Um, all of those people typically are the ones presenting or working the CUSE Awards, and it is just as much a celebration of them as it is of the student-athletes. And I do want to call out uh, that team and specifically um, the, uh, the, 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 the staff that's working those events and, and doing things behind the scenes for the athletic, uh, athletic teams. One of my favorite moments of that tournament or of the Cuse Awards is that like when you walk into wherever it is, they have like one of those stand and repeats. It's just like giant back screen and people take photos in front of it. Usually uh, some of the trainers are there like taking the photos actually along with the official photographer for the university and the number of times that they just get like pulled into a photo with an athlete who had to stay with that trainer during six months of recovery from a surgery or something. Oh yeah. It's it is the work that they do is something that I would love to highlight on this podcast. They're all just way too selfless to ever come on here and talk about themselves for an hour. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And like, you know, I, I spent as much training, as much training time in the, uh, uh, PT rooms as I did on the field. Like, you know, you know, this, you know, the staff, you know, who's there. Like I, Cheryl Rockwood, the old, well, the, the athletic trainer at Union, like I spent more time in her office than I did on the field or in the locker room. That might just have been my body giving up on me. But like the same thing at this level, even more so, you're playing at a higher level and you're you're having to recoup and you're having to, you know, live that rehab life. And these guys keep, keep the ship rolling between that and like you said, the support staff and everybody else. It's uh, it's a tremendous event, and I appreciate that Syracuse has continued with this tradition, and I hope they continue to do to do it as well. Yeah. Um. Uh, Steve, you are the keeper of the notes. I have oh. we hit all. We should we should talk about something that happened today that I don't. This, I want to make sure that it's the last thing before we go into the sad thing. Do we have any other things to talk about before we talk about Miles? Oh Jesus! I forgot that happened. I had already, I, I, had, I had like gotten the Men in Black uh, Zabby thing. For yeah. A there. <laughs> yeah. So Let's yeah, talk for, about Miles Robinson. For for anyone who doesn't care anything about soccer, uh, you can tune out now. Thanks for tuning in. But uh, we've got we've, we've got, got some soccer thoughts. and Marvel coming up. So yeah. unfortunately, if you enjoyed the Syracuse football and basketball talk, uh, the last couple minutes of this podcast is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> So we can't have nice things, right? No, not at all. There's there's so many levels to this injury. Um, so for those that did not see it, I will say this. It is not for the faint of heart to watch what happens. There's a video online. I, I think Bali Sports, who is the local cable provider for and a rights holder for the Atlanta team, posted the aftermath of it. And all you need to know is that the clip that Bali posted on Twitter that I shared to our internal Slack team was Miles angrily on the ground, screaming, pointing to his lower leg, um, them touching that leg, him screaming in agony. And then there's a, a, a tweet from Taylor Twelman that basically says that they're doing the Achilles test on him. Um, and Steve, as somebody who has been through this injury... Um, Recently, too. Like, Yay. Yeah, um, and and Christian, as somebody who follows soccer enough to know these types of injuries, yeah. if in fact Miles Robinson did rupture, pop, tear any damage to the Achilles, he's done for the next nine to twelve months at a minimum. Correct? Minimum, minimum, minimum. Yeah, yeah I think. It, well, it depends on depends on the severity. If he's 
if they're yeah i'm i'm actually this is the first time i'm watching the video right now i just pulled it up oh but oh no i mean like i said as someone who just went through it um yeah non-contact and just steps on it and it goes uh yeah they are they they you know did the achilles test and i would assume it's probably negative i'm surprised at the well i guess there's a couple different ways you can do it um mine was weirdly zero pain uh so watching him writhe in pain is like i in my brain i'm like well maybe that's a good thing (laughs) but (laughs) uh yeah it's no matter what it's not good for Syracuse soccer alumni and it's not very good for the U.S. national team when your starting center back going into world cup year uh goes down with an Achilles and has to be carted off so ouch I don't think he's gonna make it no if unless unless it's a partial tear and it's just a you know get off it so it rehab it and he may be back who knows what condition he's back in um, right in my right, brain, yeah. this is get John Brooks on speed dial for all the stupidity that's happened. If you're going to the World Cup, you almost have to bring someone of quality. Um, what's your so your starting backs are your center backs for the World Cup? Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, and then John Brooks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would it's, say <laughs> yeah. I'm as big as an Aaron Long fan as anyone is, but. Oh boy! Yeah, that's a, that's a, such a and it just sucks to talk about. Like Miles had literally done everything right to get on the U.S. World Cup radar to earn himself a starting spot. He's the hero of some games, even on the offensive side of the of the ball, and it's just gone. It's just done. Like his window is now shut for another four years, if that. And this is not an injury that he's guaranteed to come back from at 100%. And it's... And I, this, I, I, I can't say that, now. Probab- not only that, this probably kills off any chance that Miles had at a Europe spot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because they're not going to take him somewhere else and rehab him. And he's already, what, 25? Yeah. So yeah. it's... Yeah, it's... It's it the could worst not have possible happened timing at a worse time this. for the yeah. kid. For his professional career or his World Cup chances. Now, that said, at 25, if he rehabs, you're back for... He's not even 29 in 2026, so that helps that. But, I mean, yeah, that's an icing on a shit cake. Um, So, I, I don't know, man. My heart goes out to the kid. I've been through it. It's not a fun rehab. Um, Enjoy all of Netflix because you're going to be watching it. Miles, if you want to talk, we, this podcast is open. We'd love <laughs> to chat with you. Very say like, oh yeah, <laughs> hit hit us up and we can talk about whatever that is you want to talk about. That's not your Achilles. Um, I just give us your, it, give us your best Mac story. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, this needs to happen now. I need to I need to find Miles on on some still, social media and, and slide into those DMs. We're we're still continuing the quest for Mac. Quest for Mac. It is it is our eternal quest that once we achieve it. I don't know what happens with this show. <laughs> no, no, that'd be the yeah. pinnacle. We'd be there. Yeah. Um, speaking of the sad news before we go into the happy news, RIP George Perez. Uh, very comic book specific shout out. But uh, if you've enjoyed reading comics in the last 20 to 30 years, or you've enjoyed things such as Teen Titans or Wonder Woman or the Avengers, uh, you have George Perez to thank for that. Yeah. Uh, it's not very often that we get like that we get to talk about a uh, comic book artist of our lifetime who is that impactful uh, across so many both Marvel and DC. But George Perez was that uh, local uh, kid from New York, uh, Queens kid. Uh, just it's really sad to see him go. Um, one of the best comic book artists that were out there. And I just wanted to call that out because we're about to talk about a certain character in the Marvel multiverse who he is not afraid of drawing. Um, so for those of you that have not seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, you have approximately five seconds to turn this off and go do something else with whatever it is you're doing because we are going to talk about it for everybody else. Uh, three, two... One.
holy shit, I loved that movie so much. I don't, I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's cinema. I loved that movie. Yeah, I, th- I saw, I was watching a review of this on YouTube at one point, and it, this was perfectly, it was perfectly said. If you're going in there expecting a movie, you're gonna be disappointed. But if you go in there expecting great Marvel content, holy shit, are you gonna be very happy? Right, and if that's you... exactly what we got. Yeah. and do I care? that we didn't get a mainly a movie and more so just a whole bunch of Marvel content shoved at our throat? Not at all! I loved that! It was fun! Right, if yeah. you, you, you... It was, you it was fun, even book. though Scam Ra- Sam Rainey scared the living crap out of me a couple of times. <laughs> Dude, that, it was definitively the most Raimi movie Raimi could have made, and it was amazing for it. Um, the the fact that we saw zombie strange and it was a protagonist was just like, how did you do that? And thank you. <laughs> There's, there was the moment when I know that, you know, what we're talking about like where the Starler witch versus the Illuminati. And it was just true comic book oh, level God. horror where it's over-the-top deaths, like, with fight scenes, with the dramatic beats and everything. Like, Raimi, I think Marvel has run into this issue, and you guys can feel free to contradict me on this if you want, but I feel like Marvel has gone through a phase where they're definitive, they're focusing on the writers, and they're focusing on the directors, which I don't think is a bad thing, um, but those writers and directors aren't necessarily coming to Marvel with the love and appreciation of comics that Sam Raimi has. And Sam Raimi may, again, he made the Spider-Man trilogy, but he knows how to make comic book movies. And Strange 2 is a comic book movie. It's not a Marvel movie. It's not a, a horror movie. It is a straight up, like the way that they were doing, like the, the close pan ins on the faces and stuff felt like those beats in a comic book where it's just the single panel of character face before the next beat happens. And I mean, that's very Raimi, Raimi Raimi-esque, but it's almost like he's also, you know, pulled some of those tricks for his own filmmaking and they happen to work perfectly in this medium. And it was just, it was a fun ride. Like, I, I went in with zero aspersions and no expectations and no nothing. And I came out with a grin on my face. Like, it was just fun. Let's, yeah. let's talk Illuminati. Let, let, let's talk the big thing that was revealed there. I really want to talk that. Okay, let's go for it. Scott Krasinski, I love that casting. That is such a good casting for Reed Richards. Because it it felt like he was an important person in that movie. And I feel like just in past Fantastic Four iterations, he didn't feel as important as he was to the integrity of just the entire, not just the Fantastic Four, but to like how smart he is and his mind is to everything around him. And Krasinski brings that. And the, I really hope, I really hope he is also the casting for the Fantastic Four movie as well, because that is such good casting. He's, I, I think that you hit on something really interesting that I was talking about with Mike Held. Hi, Mike. Um, it's that in every Fantastic Four movie that we've seen so far, Reed Richards is not the most important person to that story. Yeah. Um, in the original Fox movies, it was really focused in on Doom and Ben Grimm, which not going to hate you for it. Those are two fantastic characters. Mm-hmm. And in the attempted really? modern reboot, it felt like Michael B. Jordan was the primary character there around Human Torch. Again, nothing wrong with that. But I do think that what Krasansky brings, and a part of this is just from what we've seen him in in the office, he's a smartass. But he's also a smartass that, like, you open your heart for and you love and you feel genuine, like, emotions for. And that, to me, is what Mr. Fantastic is. Is like, Mr. Fantastic is not without fault. He's often actually the reason that a lot of bad things happen in the Marvel Universe, to be be quite frank. Um, But he's never doing it out of a point of malice. He's doing it out of a point of genuine curiosity or love 
and care for his family. And I feel like if anybody can thread that kind of needle with fans, he's one of them. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are some other casts that they might want to go down. But the other part that got me, and I know Steve is just itching to talk about this, the, um, the Danny Eifman's take on the X-Men 92 theme. Um, I heard that, and my first thought was, this is Steve's new ringtone. <laughs> uh, I can't say that wasn't my ringtone at one point in the past. <laughs> Multiple points in the past. Um, but that, I love it. I mean, that was, it was too perfect, and just the little leitmotif was just enough to give that nod to people that knew, and otherwise it was still, like, I don't know, I feel like just the change in tone was enough to signify, hey, this guy's a big deal. And then he rolls up in the classic yellow wheelchair from the animated series. And it's just like, okay, this is fun. Like Patrick, uh, Patrick Stewart playing Charles Xavier from the animated series while hearing the cues and him being the one that is subtly well ultimately not so subtly but like informing strange of what needs to actually be done that's just great it was i i i had maybe maybe that's why i enjoyed the movie so much i don't know <laughs> i i did think that the other part of the movie that we need to talk about right before we end here is uh i think the movie worked because wanda was the antagonist and yeah. not the antagonist mm -hmm. in a bad way but the antagonist of I the movie didn't hit on this as well as other Marvel Between movies have. But the running theme now. through it was that Strange was chasing his both Strange and Wanda were chasing their loves through the multiverse in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And Strange helps Wanda realize that uh you that's just that's not how this works. That's not that's not gonna lead to any kind of serious happiness. And it's because Strange, and I think this is where Raimi did hit it on the movie. We get this the entire movie. Strange is not happy because Strange can never be happy because he is somebody who is eternally captured by the pursuit of more knowledge and curiosity that comes with being a Sorcerer Supreme, a Master Surgeon. Like he is, he is a perfectionist in all senses of the word. And he needs to learn humanity. He needs to learn emotions. And I thought pairing him with a child while Wanda chases after her children was a really interesting way to play with that theme. And I do think that that was something that I think, Christian, to your point, if you really spend more time focusing on that, you have a movie. But it's Sam Raimi. There were issues and reshoots with the whole Spider-Man rescheduling. So they just went with well, this will be our anchor, but you're really going to watch him have an amazing fight with sheet music and watch him jump through the in, in different iterations of himself and, like, we'll that use this to anchor so, the big moments. The sheet music fight was so, so cool. I love that as a music nerd. That was just incredible. <laughs> um, but I, th I think you point to Wanda as well. I think this movie also really, really worked because she's just up front immediately the villain i think if you do yeah. the what marvel usually wants to do which is wait until the middle end of act two to reveal like oh this is the true mystery villain like kind of what they did with mysterio in no way home um or no far from home um then this movie wouldn't have worked in the same way right yeah and that i i guess i'm curious so i was listening to the ring reverse earlier and uh, they brought up a good point. If you did not watch WandaVision and you were, you know, say you, you were, say you're just a, a movie guy. Um, yeah. I, for the longest time, I was uh, Team Jomi on the, the uh, TV shows are good and flesh out everything, but they are not necessary to the plot of a lot of these movies. In this case, I feel like that's 100% true outside of the fact that you have no idea that uh, Scarlet Witch went completely bonkers and that Elizabeth Olsen is now your antagonist instead of your protagonist playing along with the Avengers in Endgame. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, you you got, you're either all in on this train or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's I feel like at. I feel like this may have been the first big thing that was, like even even the end of Loki. Uh, you know, No Way Home still stood on its own. Yeah. This this could still stand on its own without Loki. But you would still, you know, the, the, there's a prerequisite on WandaVision. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think this was really the first major thing that you needed to have seen uh, a prior installment to fully understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I'm here for it. I enjoyed the ending of Moon Knight. I enjoyed, I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that we were able to talk about it because... This is I, I I just want to keep telling people to watch this movie because it's fun. Um, And as comic book fans, I think comic book fans will enjoy this movie a lot. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if anybody Um, wants to hear more about comic books and comic book movies, feel free to check out my other podcast, The Multiverse Report, (laughs) themultiverseReport.com. Thanks, guys. (laughs) You're welcome. And on that note, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, we really appreciate the support. If you're listening on your favorite podcast provider of choice, make sure you rate us, review us, subscribe. Uh, that way we can help trick the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire. If you're watching this on Twitch, either recorded uh, live or at a later date, thank you for watching our lovely faces. And we do appreciate the interaction that we get from you all on the streams. And if you're watching this or listening to this on newsmagician.com, thank you again, as always, for supporting this website, hitting the website consistently. It does mean a lot to us that you do that. Thank you to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Make sure to use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Homefield Apparel. And gentlemen, with that, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. You really freaking deserve it. Go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange.